the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today Dr. Carmen Quadman, an orthopedic surgeon practicing in Ohio. She's board certified and her primary focus is trauma and geriatrics. Uh, Dr. Quadman, we're very excited to have you on the podcast and welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. You are, I think this is correct information, one of two orthopedic surgeons who are fellowship trained in geriatric orthopedics. Actually, the third one just came out a year ago in uh, July. We had the third graduate that has the International Geriatric Fracture Society Fellowship completed. Mm-hmm. I had asked a couple of orthopedic surgeons that I work with, and they hadn't heard of that. So I, I was hoping you might share with our listeners about the fellowship and what it entails and how you decided on that as a fellowship. When I first started in orthopedics, I'd, I'd worked a lot of times with adolescents and pediatric patients. And as I got further along in my training doing trauma, I just really felt a true connection with those patients, that it was a great opportunity for improvement and specifically for geriatric patients. After one of my injuries, I was at home alone uh, trying to navigate my stairs and cook and get into the car all by myself. I was a former athlete and it was a struggle for me. I can't imagine being 70 or 75 and having hearing issues or vision loss and trying to do this. It just struck me one day that we really need to to look into that area more. And so I started to look and there really wasn't anything out there. We have a great pediatric experience in orthopedics, but we treat a lot of geriatrics. In fact, the literature says that 50% or more now, because that was back in 2002, of orthopedic surgeries are actually performed in people 65 and older, which demonstrates that we actually have an older population, although I think many of us get into orthopedics from a sports medicine injury where we were younger. So the geriatrics influence, looking into it, I realized that we have these patients, especially hip fractures that are coming in, and the mindset in orthopedics is if we find something broken, we're going to fix it. We go towards cure, towards making everything 100% back to normal. And in the geriatrics realm, it switches over into quality of life. And we haven't really followed suit with some of the other specialties out there that have recognized that need. When should we operate? Do we need to do a large reconstruction? Should somebody get a total knee if they have other options that can minimize possible loss of limb if they have an infection? And then finally, just like in adolescence, you know, the parents were involved with kid decisions. Often the kids are now involved with parent decisions. And so we really needed to carve out a new specialty to really talk about those challenges and differences. What resources would someone have to kind of do more investigation on this? Like the geriatric specialty, everybody does orthopedics, but if someone doesn't have the same training, where do you go? So I think there's some great resources out there. Um, The American Geriatric Society even has some modules online that are actually for geriatricians to learn about orthopedics and for orthopedics to learn about geriatrics. And so there's all kinds of modules to the American Geriatric Society that can be evaluated and gone through. The general surgery world has been really proactive in elevating the concept of geriatrics. So they have more literature coming out about those things. And then finally, I would really recommend doing a frontline work with the geriatricians. That was um, something that was probably the most meaningful for me is to understand the barriers to geriatric care. Geriatricians are really focused very much on quality of life and almost de-implementing what we do for health. So for example, their goal is to not tightly control blood glucose because they don't want to see wide variation. Instead, they may decrease some of their diabetic medications to prevent a fainting episode. Basically, they'll peel off any medications that they feel are unnecessarily restrictive because the biology of the body changes as we get older. 
if you walk with the geriatricians, you'll hear the barriers of care. So, you know, say a patient shows up in your clinic with dementia, and I'm sure all of us in orthopedics have had that case. They come on alone and with a piece of paper from a skilled nursing facility that we're sitting in. And so getting to learn the skilled nursing facility side of things really influenced how I interact with patients. I spend a lot more time on my notes to make sure that they get back. And we fax those notes directly back to wherever people are going because we can't rely on the patients or transport to get that back. I call it frontline walking or going to Gemba really influenced the way I practice just because I am very aware of the situation. Is that your primary practice, geriatric patients? I do trauma. Um, I would say about maybe 50 to 60% of my patients are specifically geriatric because we have a lot of falls at home that actually get qualified as geriatrics. And I do fracture care in general. I've also run a bone health clinic. So working on fracture prevention. I currently don't do that because our volume for surgery is too high. And so we, we work closely with our endocrinology department. Probably one of the best resources to understand osteoporosis is Own the Bone uh, website, where they talk a lot about uh, education for osteoporosis. And if we were going to make one big movement, this is where I feel like our APPs and MPs can really make an effort. And many of the surgeons are trying to get there just talking about what osteoporosis is, making sure they get a DEXA scan and making sure they go back to their primary care doctor and talk about it. Or if their doctor doesn't feel comfortable, making sure they get referral to somebody who does. Because the most frustrating thing is a hip fracture followed by another hip fracture or some implant that we place in with a fracture around it because we didn't treat the primary problem, which was bone health. Correct. We have a bone health staff with our practice and definitely gaining traction. I wanted to shift gears just a little. You had talked about on your bio and your background, your interest in psychological safety. I supposed that this was related to your work on fall prevention in your earlier research and such, but I was hoping you might share some of that. Uh, does that describe workplace safety? Does that describe patient state of mind? You want the patient to feel safe when they're in their home. And one of the research goals I've really focused on and I have most of my funding around is working on helping patients stay home safely for as long as they desire. And so you want them to feel safe navigating their home. A lot of times older patients won't talk about that because they're fearful that people will want them to leave their home or make them change their environment or possibly go into a nursing facility environment. And so they don't even acknowledge to their own doctors or to their family members that they're having issues and their house isn't safe anymore. So... Psychological safety, I think, probably epitomizes some of the concepts of quality of life. You want to feel safe. We all want to feel safe. In staying home safety, you had talked about partnering with EMS services and such. Does that all go together as like the whole plan? Like you're going to address, you know, special issues for geriatrics, your psychological safety, your safety at home, you know, if you have a problem, EMS services, how does it all fit together? I remember hearing someone mention the comment, doing geriatrics is even worse than doing war medicine in terms of communication, because at least in war medicine, they'll write the most important things on the chest of the patient. So when they're transported, that can be communicated across. Well, we don't even do that for geriatrics. And we expect our patients who have memory issues or a long uh, list of comorbidities and medications, if they fall at home and they need to go to the hospital, there's a gap in terms of that knowledge translation. And then once they arrive in the trauma bay, once they get up to the floor, there's another gap, and then they go to a sniff, there's another gap, and then they go back home. I call it the continuum of care. So really understanding that entire cycle of the patient journey and the different parts that they may be in throughout their care. And that starts with closing down those gaps in communication. 
One day I was sitting in my office and one of the paramedics had an office next to mine and they mentioned that they keep having this issue of patients falling at home, calling 911. They're not really hurt. They don't know if they should really transport to the hospital, but they can tell that they're in medical decline and likely not having resources in their home that are, are making it safe for them to stay. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. Let's look at your data. And I was really shocked to see how many times they get called for lift assist. If you walk into an, almost any paramedic department and you ask, write down the five names of people you're going to see today, almost all of them will have the exact same name. So there's these high utilizers that are using the system, which delays care for other issues that are more acute. And there's really no referral source to, to close down that gap. So that's where we have focused with our paramedic team is closing down that gap, breaking down the barriers. So the patients, if they fall at home and they come to the hospital, I know that I can return them to a safe home, not one that they, they weren't safe in where they fell. If they fell by the toilet, they might need a grab bar. If they fell in the kitchen, they might need to have the rug removed. So making sure that we have eyes in the home when we normally don't, that partnership has really allowed us to close down a lot of those gaps. I appreciate your coming out and, and talking about this. You know, it's more than just making the x-ray look better. It's, it's about the person, what happens after the surgery, where they go, and taking an active role in it. And I, I think it's just awesome. I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Do you have any other thoughts or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? I mentioned before, you know, going to the front line and just experiencing it, just seeing it, you don't have to spend a lot of time can be really helpful. When I went down this pathway, I didn't realize how much what I learned would influence my day-to-day -day life. My dad was ill and diagnosed with glioblastoma, and in order to get him home safely, I used a lot of my geriatric principles, and even to have hard conversations with my own family members about end-of-life discussions and what are goals, and getting that skill set was so powerful. I think getting palliative and hospice involved is always a scary thing for many families, and I didn't realize the personal touch that that added and understanding what palliative is versus hospice and how many people don't get the resources that they need to, to really have a great quality of life when they're sick. I think if I were to give any resources to anybody is to reach out to those teams if you have availability to, to learn about hospice and palliative care, how to have a hard conversation about end-of-life planning, because the worst case scenario is you have to make a decision for your family member, or they have to make a decision for you. And ending life with compassion and empathy can be a really beautiful way to do it if you know that you're all on the same page versus having to make hard decisions that you live with regret. So that's a long summary to say, just learn more about hospice and palliative care. I think there's so many underfunded and underutilized opportunities there. So well said. On a personal level, I'm going through something like that myself, and I totally appreciate you saying that. Dr. Quatman, thank you for being on today. We appreciate your time, and hopefully we can get you on in the future. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. The PAOS Orthopedic Boot Camp, November the 13th and 14th, brush up on your orthopedic assessment and clinical knowledge. Please register online at www.paos.org CME. Again, it's Saturday and Sunday, November the 13th and 14th, a day and a half, 12 hours of CME. So I hope we see you there.